in the dark. 100 candles. 100 stories. Welcome to the 100 Ghost Story Adventure Podcast. Oh God, what a thing is it to be a ghost. Cowering and shivering in an altered world, a prey to apprehension and despair. Ambrose Bierce. What if a ghost had a code of conduct? What would that be like? Tonight's episode, Phantasmagoria by Lewis Carroll. night at half past nine, cold, tired, and cross and muddy, I had come home too late to dine, and supper with cigars and wine was waiting in the study. There was a strangeness in the room, and something white and wavy was standing near me in the gloom. I took it for the carpet room left by that careless slavey. But presently the thing began to shiver and to sneeze, on which I said, come, come, my man, that's a most inconsiderate plan. Less noise there, if you please. I've caught a cold, the thing replies, out there upon the landing. I took to look in some surprise, and there before my very eyes, a little ghost was standing. He trembled when he caught my eye and got behind a chair. How came you here, I said, and why? I never saw a thing so shy. Come out, don't shiver there. Said I'd gladly tell you how, and also tell you why. But, here he gave a little bow, you're in so bad a temper now, you'd think it all a lie. And as to being in a fright, allow me to remark, that ghosts have just a right, in every way, to fear the light as men to fear the dark. No plea, said I, can well excuse such cowardice in you, for ghosts can visit when they choose, whereas humans cannot refuse to grant the interview. He said a flutter of alarm is not unnatural, is it? I really feared that you meant some harm, but now I can see you are calm. Let me explain my visit. Houses are classed, I beg to state, according to the number of ghosts they can accommodate, where the tenant merely counts his weight with coals and other lumber. This is a one-ghost house, and you, when you arrived last summer, may have remarked a specter who was doing all that ghosts can do to welcome the newcomer. In villas, this is always done, however cheaply rented. 
For though of course there's less of fun, when there is only room for one, ghosts have to be counted. The specter said this place was low and then you kept bed wine. So as a phantom had to go and I was first of course you know, I couldn't well decline. No doubt said I, they'd settled with who was fittest to be sent. Yet still to choose a brat like you to haunt a man of 42 was no great compliment. I'm not so young, sir, he replied, as you might think. The fact is in caverns by the waterside and other places I have tried, I've had a lot of practice. But I have taken yet a strict domestic part, and in my flurry I forgot the five good rules of etiquette we have to know by heart. My sympathies were warming fast towards this little fellow. He was so utterly aghast at having found a man at last, he looked so scared and yellow. At least, I said, I'm glad to find a ghost is not a dumb thing. But pray sit down, you'll feel inclined, if, like myself, you have not dined, to snack on something. Though certainly you do not appear a thing to offer food to, then I shall be glad to hear, if you will say them loud and clear, the rules that you allude to. You shall hear them by and by, and this is a piece of luck. What may I offer you, said I, well, since you are so kind, I'll try a little bit of duck. One slice, and may I ask for another drop of gravy? I sat and looked at him in awe, for certainly never saw a thing so white and wavy. And still he seemed to grow more white, more vapory and waver, and in the dim and flickering light he proceeded to recite his maxims of behavior. My first, but don't suppose, he said, in setting you a riddle. If it is your victim be in bed, don't touch the curtains at his head, but take them in the middle, and wave them slowly in and out while drawing them asunder, and in a minute's time, no doubt, he'll raise his head and look about with eyes of wrath and wonder. And here you must, on no pretense, make the first observation, Wait for the victim to commence. No ghost of any common sense begins a conversation. In such a case, your course is clear. On bat's back, my little dear, is the appropriate answer. If after this he says no more, you best perhaps curtail your excursions. Go and shake the door. And then if he begins to snore, you'll know the thing's a failure. By day, if he should go alone at home or on a walk, you merely give a hollow groan to indicate what kind of tone in which you mean to talk. But if you find him with his friends, the thing is rather harder. In such a case, success depends on picking up some candle ends or butter in the larder. With this, you make a kind of slide. It answers best with suet on which you must contrive to glide and swing yourself from side to side. One soon learns how to do it. The second tells us what is right in ceremonious calls. First burn a blue or crimson light, a thing I quite forgot tonight, and scratch the doors or walls. I said you'll visit here no more if you attempt the guy. I'll have no bonfires on my floor, and as for scratching at the door, I'd like to see you try. The third was written to protect the interest of the victim, and tells us, as I recollect, to treat him with a grave respect and not to contradict him. That's plain, said I, as 
Terror and Trent. To any comprehension, I only wish some ghosts I've met would not so constantly forget the maxim which you mentioned. Perhaps he said your first transgress the laws of hospitality, while ghosts instinctively detest a man who fails to treat his guest with proper cordiality. If you address a ghost's thing or strike him with a hatchet, he is permitted by the king to drop all formal parleying, and then you are sure to catch it. The force prohibits trespassing where other ghosts are quartered. For those convicted of the thing, unless when pardoned by the king, must instantly be slaughtered. This simply means be cut up small, ghosts soon unite anew. Process scarcely hurts at all, no more than your what you call cut up by a review. The fifth is one you may prefer that I should quote entire. The king must be addressed as sir. This from a simple courtier is all the law requires. But should you wish to do the thing without an out politeness, accost him as my goblin king and always use in answering the phrase your royal whiteness. I'm getting rather hoarse, I fear, after so much reciting. So if you don't object, my dear, we'll try a glass of bitter beer. I think it looks inviting. And did you really walk, said I, on such a wretched night? I always fancied ghosts could fly, if not exactly in the sky, yet at a fairish height. It's very well, said he, for kings to soar above the earth, but phantoms often find that wings, like many other pleasant things, cost far more than they're worth. Spectres, of course, are rich, and so can buy them from the elves, but we prefer to keep below. The stupid company you know or any but themselves. For though they claim to be exempt from pride, they treat a phantom as something quite beneath contempt, as no turkey ever dreamt of noticing a bathroom. They seem too proud, said I, to go to houses such as mine. Pray, how did they contrive to know so quickly that this place was low and that I kept bad wine? Inspector Kobold came to you, the little ghost began, here I broke in, Inspector Who? Inspecting ghosts is something new. Explain yourself, my man. His name is Kobold, said my guest, one of the Spectre Order. You'll very often see him dressed in yellow gown and crimson vest and nightcapped with a border. He tried the Brocken business first, but he caught a sort of chill. So he came to England to be nursed, and here it took the form of thirst which he complains of still. Port wine, he says, when rich and sounded, warms his old bones like nectar, and the inns where it is found are especially hunting grounds. We call him the Inn Spectre. I bore it, bore it like a man, this agonizing witticism, and nothing could be sweeter. My temper still, the ghost began, some most provoking criticism. Cooks need not be indulged in waste, yet still you'd better teach them. Dishes should have some sort of taste. Pray, why are all the cruets placed where nobody can reach them? This man of yours will never earn his living as a waiter. But is it a queer thing to suppose to burn? It's far too dismal a concern to be called a moderator. 
The duck was tender, but the peas were very much too old. And just remember, if you please, the next time that you have toasted cheese, don't let them send it cold. You'll find the bread improved, I think, by getting better flour. And if you've anything to drink that looks a little less like ink and isn't quite so sour. Then peering round with curious eyes, he muttered goodness gracious, and so went on to criticize your room's an inconvenient size. It's neither snug nor spacious. That narrow window, I suspect, serves but to let the dusk in. But please, said I, to recollect, was fashioned by an architect who pinned his face on Ruskin. I don't care who he was, sir, or whom he pinned his face. Constructed by whatever law, so poor a job I never saw, as I'm a living ring. What a remarkable cigar, how much are they a dozen? I growl no matter what they are, you're getting as familiar as if you were my cousin. Now that's a thing I will not stand, and I will tell you flat. Aha, he said, we're getting grand, taking a bottle in his hand, and sooner range for that. And here he took a careful aim and gaily cried, here goes. I tried to dodge it as it came, but somehow caught it all the same exactly on my nose. And yet I remember nothing more that I can clearly fix till I was sitting on the floor repeating two and five or four, but five and two or six. Though driving mist, I seemed to see a thing that smirked and smiled and found that he was giving me a lesson in biography as if I were a child. Ah, oh, when I was a ghost, a merry time had we. He seated on his favorite post. We chumped and shod the butter toast they gave us with our tea. That story is in print, I cried. Don't say it's not because. It's known as well as Brashaw's guide, the ghost uneasily replied. He hardly thought it was. It's not in nursery rhyme, and yet I almost think it is. Three little ghosties were set on post, as you know and ate their buttered toasties. I have the book, if you doubt it. I turned to search the shelf. Don't stir, he cried, we'll do without it. I do remember all about it. I wrote the thing myself. It came out in a monthly, or at least my agent said it did. Some literary swell who saw it thought it seemed adapted for the magazine he edited. My father was a brownie, sir. My mother was a fairy. The notion occurred to her the children could be happier if they were taught to vary. The notion soon became a craze, and then it once began. She brought us all out in different ways. One was a pixie, two were fays, another was a banshee. The fetch and kelpie went to school and lot of, and they gave a lot of trouble. Next came a poltergeist and ghoul, then two trolls, which broke the rule, a goblin and a double. If that's a snuff box on the shelf, he added with a yawn, I'll take a pinch. The next came Elf, and then the Phantom, that's myself, and last a leprechaun. One day some specters chanced to call, dressed in the usual white. I stood watching them in the hall and could not make them out at all. They seemed strange. What on earth they were, they looked all head and sack, but Mother told me not to stare, and she twitched me 
by the hair and punched me in the back. Since then, I've often wished that I had been Spectre born. But what's the use? He heaved aside. There are the ghost nobility and look upon us with scorn. My phantom life was soon begun when I was barely six. I went out with an older one, and at first I thought it was fun and learned a lot of tricks. I've haunted dungeons, castles, towers, wherever I was sent. I've often sat and howled for hours, drenched to the skin with driving showers upon a battlement. It's quite old-fashioned now to groan when you begin to speak. It is the newest thing in tone. Here it chilled me to the bone. He gave an awful squeak. Perhaps, he added, to your ear the sound is an easy thing. Try it yourself, my little dear. It took me something like a year with constant practicing. And when you've learned to squeak, my man, and caught a double saw, you're pretty much where you began. Just try a gibber if you can. It's something like a job. I've tried it, and I can only say I'm sure you could do it, even if you practice night and day, unless you've had a turn of way and natural ingenuity. Shakespeare, I think it is who treats of ghosts in days of old, who gibbered in the Roman streets, dressed if you recollect in sheets, they must have found it cold. I've often spent ten pounds on stuff in dressing as a double, but though it answers as a puff, never had effect enough to make it worth the trouble. Long Bill soon quenched the little thirst I've had for being funny. The setup is always the worst, some heaps of things you wanted first, but must be made of money. For instance, take a haunted tower with skull and crossbones and sheet, the lights to burn is, say, two an hour. Condensing lens of extra power and sets of chains complete. With what these things you have to hire and the fitting on the robe and testing all the colored fire, the outfit of itself would tire the patience of a job. Then they're so fastidious, the haunted house committee. I've often known to make a fuss because of ghosts with French or Russ or even from the city. Some dialects are objected to, for one, the Irish burg it is, and then for all you have to do when pound a week is all they offer you to find yourself in both. Don't they consult the victims, though, I said. They should, by rights, to give them a chance because, you know, the tastes of people differ so, especially in the sprites. The phantom shook his head and smiled, consult them not a bit. Could be a job to drive one wild to satisfy one single child, there'd be no end to it. Of course you can't leave children free, I said, to pick and choose. But in the case of men like me, I think my host might fairly be allowed to state his views. He said it really wouldn't pay for folks to so full of fancy to visit for every single day. He said it really wouldn't pay folks are so full of fancies. We visit for a single day, and whether then we go or stay depends on circumstances. The proper thing, as you were late, was certainly to go. But with the roads in such a state, I got the night's mayor's leave to wait for half an hour or so. Who's the night mayor, I cried, instead of answering my question, well, if you don't know that, he said, either you never go to bed or you've grand digestion. He goes about and sits on folks to eat too much at night. His duties are to pinch and poke and squeeze them till they nearly choke. I said that serves them right. The folk who sup on things like these, he muttered eggs and bacon and lobster and duck and toasted cheese. If they don't get an awful squeeze, I'm very much mistaken. He's immensely fat and so well suits the occupation. In point of fact, you must know, he used to call him years ago the mayor and corporate. 
The day he was elected mayor, I know that every sprite meant to vote for me, but did not dare. He was so fantastic with despair and furious with excitement. When it was over for a whim, he ran to tell the king, and being reverse of slim, a two-mile trot was not for him a very easy thing. So to reward him for his run, and it was baking hot, and he was over twenty stone, the king proceeded half in fun to knight him on the spot. "'Twas a great liberty to take, I fired up like a rocket. He did it for punning's sake, the man says Johnson, that would make him a pun who would pick a pocket. A man, he said, is not king, I argued for a while, and did my best to prove the thing, the phantom merely listening with contemptuous smile. At last, when breath and patience spent, I reported to smoking. At last, when breath and patience spent, and I resorted to smoking, your aims, he said, in excellent, but when you call it an argument, of course you were only joking. Stunned by his cold and snarky eye, I roused myself at length. To say at least I do defy, the union is strength. That's true enough, said he, and yet stay. I listen in all meekness. Union is strength, I'm bound to say. In fact, one thing's as clear as day, but onions are a weakness. As one strives a hill to climb who never climbed before, who finds it in a little time to grow a moment less of mine, and votes a thing of old. Yet having once to begun to try, dares not desert his quest, but climbing ever he keeps his eye on one small hut against the sky, wherein he hopes to rest. Who climbs till never force are spent with many a puff and pant, who still as rises the ascent, in language grows more violent, Beneath the breath more scant. Who climbing gains at length the place that crowns the upward track, and entering with unsteady pace, receives a buffet in the face and lands him on the back. Like one in sleep, guides swiftly down again to a helpless weight from steep to steep. With a headlong giddy sweep, he drops upon the plain. So I that had resolved to bring conviction to a ghost and found it quite a different thing from any human arguing, yet dared not quit my post. But keeping still the end in view to which I hoped to come, I strove to prove the matter true by putting everything I knew into an accent. Commencing every single phrase with therefore or because, I blindly reeled a hundred ways about the symbolic maze unconscious where I was. Both he that's regular claptrap don't bluster any more. Now do be cool and take a nap. Such a ridiculous old chap was never seen before. You're like a man I used to meet who one day got so furious in arguing the simple heat scorched both his slippers off his feet. I said that's very curious. Well, it is curious, I agree, and sounds perhaps like fib. But still, it's true as true can be, as surely as your name's Tibbs, said he. I said my name's not Tibbs. Not Tibbs? He cried. His tone became a shade or two less hearty. Why, no, said I. My proper name's is Tibbs. Tibbs? I, the same. Why, then you're not the party. With that, he struck the board a blow that shivered half the glasses, why couldn't you have told me so three quarters of an hour ago, you prince of all the asses? To walk more miles through mud and rain, to spend the night in smoking, and then to find it all in vain, and I've got to do it all again, it's really too provoking. 
Don't talk, he cried as I began to mutter some excuse. Who can have patience with a man who's got more discretion than an idiotic goose? To keep me waiting here instead of telling me at once that this was not the house, he said. There, that will do. Be off to bed. Don't gape like that, you dunce. It's a very fine to throw the blame on me in such a fashion. Why didn't you inquire my name the very minute you came? I answered in passion. Of course it worries you a bit to come so far on foot. How was I to blame for it? Well, well, he said, I must admit that isn't badly put. And certainly you've given me the best of wine and victual. Excuse my violence, said he, but accidents like this, you see, they put one out a little. Was my fault after all, I find. Shake hands, old turnip top, the name was hardly to mine, but I no doubt he meant it kind, so I let the matter drop. Good night, old turnip top, good night. When I am gone, perhaps, they'll send you some inferior sprite who'll keep you in a constant fright and spoil your soundest naps. What's this I pondered? Have I slept or can I have been drinking? But soon a gentle feeling crept upon me, and I sat an hour or so like you. No need for bones to hurry, so I sob. In fact, I doubt if it was worth his while to go. And who is Tibbs, I'd like to know, to make such work about? But if Tibbs be anything like me, it's possible, I said. He wouldn't be overpleased to be dropped upon at half past three after he snug in bed. If Bones plays him anyhow, squeaking and all the rest of it, as he was doing here just now, I prophesy there'll be a row and Tibbs will have the best of it. Then as my tears could never bring this friendly phantom back, it seemed to me the proper thing to mix another glass and sing the following chorus. Thou art gone, beloved ghost, and best of familiars. Nay, then, farewell, my duckling rose, and farewell, farewell, my tea and toast, my marechamps and cigars. The hue of life are dull and gray, the sweets of life insepid. And thou, my charmer, art away, O brick, or rather, let me say, O parapellet. Instead of singing verse the third, I ceased abruptly, rather. But after such a splendid word, I else that it would be absurd to try it any farther. So with yawn I went my way to seek my welcome dowry, and slept and dreamed till break of day of poltergeist and fetch and fay, and leprechaun and brownie. For years I've not been visited by any kind of sprite, yet still they echo in my head those parting words so kindly said, old turnip top good night.
Tonight's episode of The 100 Ghost Story Adventure is Phantasmagoria by Lewis Carroll, read by Matt Sucre. The 100 Ghost Story Adventure podcast is available on podbean.com and iTunes. The stories were edited from the original materials of the production. Music provided by bensound.com. The podcast was produced and directed by Matt Sucre. Follow the 100 Ghost Story Adventure at 100ghoststory.wordpress.com, on Facebook at 100 Ghost Story Podcast, on Twitter at 100 GSA Podcast. Copyright 2018 by Matt Zucker. If you'd like to share a story for a future episode, please write us at inquiryparanormal at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and join the adventure again. Music by bensound.com. <laughs>